You're listening to Wilderness Times, a podcast exploring the intersection of faith and justice, brought to you by Resistance Church and Jubilee United Church in Toronto. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Wilderness Times for Wednesday, September 28, 2022. I'm the Rev. Brianne Swan, and in partnership with Rev. Norm Seeley, I am one of the called ministers at Jubilee United Church in Toronto. I also serve the Resistance Church community, one of Jubilee's digital ministries. Thanks for those of you who sent us messages of support after our first episode last week. I was so excited to read the posts on Instagram and Facebook, even my email saying just how much folks loved the conversation with Gary, Darren, and Krista from The Many. If you are one of The Many's supporters on Patreon, you can now go and watch a 15-minute video clip from that conversation. I'll throw that link in the show notes for this week and last week's episode. This week, we are joined by pastor, author, and sacred space maker, the Reverend Aurelia Davila Pratt. Aurelia has just released her debut book, A Brown Girl's Epiphany, Reclaim Your Intuition and Step Into Your Power. It was a really great conversation talking about Amago Day, the pressures of productivity culture, and how to live into our most authentic selves. I was first introduced to Aurelia on Instagram, where she makes offerings of short videos of her spoken word art. Her book is a beautiful introduction to the concept of Imago Day, how to step out of so many of the social constructs that keep us stuck as we attempt to resist oppression and sink more fully into our faith. I can't wait to share our conversation, but first, here is Nova and their song. Unafraid. Take a chance and wait. Stay light as a feather, a feather. Shake away the weight. Cup what makes you tethered, tethered. Trust when you fall in every risk you take. Knowing redemption's always on its way. Let all the Start to wake Unafraid Unafraid, 
So thanks, Aurelia, for being with us here on Wilderness Times. It's an absolute delight to have you here. I have been following your social media presence for probably a few years now, certainly um, through the pandemic. And you have a new book coming out called Brown Girls Epiphany, Reclaim Your Intuition and Step Into Your Power. So I'm wondering if we can start out with you just telling us a bit about your book and why this was the particular story that you needed to write in this particular moment. Ooh, hi. First of all, thank you for having me on. I love that question because what I want to tell people is that this is a book about Imago Dei. For people who don't know what that means, it's a piece of theology that literally means image of God. And um, it, it means that the image of God, we're all made in that image. And, and what I talk about in the book is that because we're made in the image of God, the Spirit of God lives within us. And it can be a spiritual practice to cultivate the embodiment of the Spirit of God within us, um, meaning that we can listen to our spirit and trust our intuition. And um, we don't need anybody else, any kind of faith leader to, to like give us heavy handed prescriptions for how to navigate, navigate our faith. Of course, of course, community matters, but that it's that Imago Dei starting point that is so pivotal. So that's what the book is about to me. Um, but I, I really want to say that this kind of inner work has implications and responsibilities that are tied to liberation, tied to justice. And um, because of that, we have to talk about, you know, macro concepts that matter. And the way I do that in this book is by sharing my own personal stories, because I think that people relate to storytelling better than they relate to concepts um, and systemic issues. And so I share my personal story as a brown girl and how microaggressions impacted my life and my disconnect from Imago Day, and then how I got back to that place of what I call power of, you know, being connected once again. And um, it's, to me, it's a reminder to people. It's not like a new information. It's just like a, a reminder of what's always been true. Mm-hmm. It almost feels like we have lost practice in how to tell stories and how to relate to people through stories sometimes. Is that something that you found in your in your ministry? Or what I'm thinking in my head is I feel like sometimes sort of Western Christianity, um, sort of white-centric, I suppose, Christianity is very, a very in-the-head exercise that um, it's, we, we, it's a very almost academic sort of pursuit, but the sort of this incarnate embodied relationship with God is not necessarily as valued or, or celebrated. And one of the ways we can access that is through telling our own stories, which was one of the things that I noticed was as I was going through the, the, the heavy emphasis you place on, on sharing personal story. Yeah, I actually, it's funny you say that because my original first chapter was called Naming Our Stories as a Pathway to Healing. 
that chapter became the introduction of the book. So I hope no one skips the introduction because the introduction is so important to me in getting set up to read the book. Um, but I totally agree with you. In fact, I just pulled out my book to maybe read a line or two. Yeah, please do. Um, okay, let me find it. Okay, just a couple of lines. Many of us have been taught to disregard our stories, but because of this, we disregard our intuition. Many of us have been taught to disregard our intuition. Because of this, we disregard our stories. This disconnect with who we are and where we came from prevents us from stepping into our fullness. So we name our stories as an act of resistance, is what I say. Um, and I think that, you know, naming our stories is, is healing work and it's also creative work. And a lot of us are disconnected from creativity because our intuition is such a helping hand in embodying creativity and living a creative life. And, you know, I just think that there's so much connection there between all of that and, yes, whoever is listening right now, you are a creative person. And I'm one of those people who thought I wasn't creative. I am creative. It's just that I got disconnected from my intuition. And I thought because of that, that none of my ideas were of value um, or that nothing, you know, I had to say or contribute was unique or novel. And maybe it is or isn't, but regardless, it's creative. <laughs> and I, mm -hmm. I really believe we're all creative. Um, and so, yeah, telling your story is, an, is a really embodied act of creativity. And I think it will lead us to our intuition, which is an entry point for divine alignment. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's almost like we've entered a point in our culture where if our creativity can't be commodified, then it's almost like what's the point, you know, the commodification of hobbies. And, and you talk yeah. a little bit about productivity culture in your book too. Um, and so why was it important to you to, like we talk about, we talk about rest as resistance. Resistance Church has three pillars, rest, hope, and community as forms of holy resistance. And and so the the idea of um, resisting this the productivity culture will be particularly, I think, of interest to folks in the Resistance Church community. But why was it important um, to you to name productivity culture? Maybe a good place to start is how do you define mm -hmm. productivity culture? Well, the reason I wanted to talk about that is because I think that it we are part. It's part of the reason why we're disconnected from our bodies, and I think that our bodies is is kind of one of the primary um, alarm systems for our intuition. We we don't know how to listen to our bodies, and because of that, we don't honor our bodies. Um, as a part of our intuitive process. And so with productivity culture, it's sort of ingrained in us this, um, this mantra of push through, just, just push through and like work, 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 but don't listen to your body. Don't bring your body along on that process. And even just yesterday, I was talking to my husband because my daughter had like just a little cough, but it wasn't anything serious. And, and I knew she was kind of fine. But at the same time, I felt like this nudge, like she, if she just got a day of rest, that would be so good for her body. And then we'd nip this in the bud and move on. And, and he was saying, well, you know, you don't have to do that. Like, it's like, 
she could just go to school. It's like, she's fine. And I was like, yeah, I know. I know that's what every kid does. Like if they don't have a fever, you know, you just send the kid to school and that's just the name of the game, you know, in, <laughs> in school. Cause kids are constantly sniffling at the beginning of school constantly. She's in first grade, by the way. So anyway, I was saying, yeah, but you know, that's not how, <laughs> that's how the world does it. But the way I've always done it is if I start to feel bad, like, I, I cancel everything and I go rest because I really believe that I'm honoring my body when I do that. And why push through? Like, why get worse before you get better? And that's kind of what I want for her. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. so she stayed home today because even and she's so bored and she's totally fine. But I just I, I felt like her body needed that extra rest. <laughs> that's my example for the day. <laughs> yeah. And if we are all made in the image of God. That includes our babies, mm-hmm. too. And even God rested. And, yeah, and, you know, it was a, it's a privilege that I could keep her home, by the way. A lot of people, they have—I work from home. Mm-hmm. A lot of people, they, they have to. They, they have yeah. to work. Um, so, anyways, there's a lot of privilege when we mm-hmm. talk about productivity culture. In fact, I had so much anxiety writing that chapter because I felt like what I was talking about were really privileged concepts. Um, Mm -hmm. talking about, you know, going with flow and not force and talking about resting and listening to your body over your to-do list. Well, that's, you know, I have to acknowledge that there are some privileges that come with that. Um, and so I tried to talk about that with, with care and I hope Mm -hmm. I did, but yeah, I also want to say that. Have you received any feedback about, about that? Not really because... Um, I mean, I, I did talk with a friend about my anxieties around it who endorsed the book and she felt like she acknowledged that, you know, but she also felt like it, like I handled it pretty well. I've had a lot of people endorse the book, like 14 inside the book and a a lot of people review it, but no one's really commented on that aspect. So hopefully that means I, (laughs) I did okay about it because I, my, my point is like we can't control all our circumstances and we can't control some of our realities, but we can control our inner posture and we can tend to the home within ourselves and we can we can um, we can have small acts of resistance in our day to day lives. And like with the rest of the book, I don't offer a blueprint. We all have different circumstances. So like, what is yours? You know, what's your reality? What's your circumstance? And where can you resist against this push through mantra that productivity culture places over our lives? I mentioned earlier that I first came to know of Aurelia through short videos of her spoken word pieces on Instagram. As we were speaking about Amago Day, productivity culture, and living authentically, I wanted to share this piece of Aurelia's poetry with you. Do you know who you are outside of your work? Outside of the urge to merge with your relationships? Do you know who you are outside of your quest for perfection? Outside of who they say you should be? Do you know you are already worthy? Already good? Already loved? Child of God, do you know that divinity is your birthright? Here's a question only you can answer. What would it mean for you to live like it? Yeah, I think that's one of the things uh, about the study guide that I really appreciate. And I will link the study guide to the book as well in our show notes. But how 
you you offer some questions. You even offer creativity exercises that people can can work through at their own pace or with a group or whatever. But it feels very honoring of folks' individual experience, like understanding that people will be coming to this book with many different contexts and and experiences and stuff like that. So um, I, it's not so much a question as much as just letting you know. Thank <laughs> just you. I really appreciate it. I appreciate that. you saying that. You're the first person that's talked to me about my discussion guide. Like the publisher asked me to write one and I was so resistant because I, this is my personal preference. I don't like when there's like questions at the end of a chapter. I just, it's not my thing. I, I, I'm not against it. I just, I want the freedom for people to go where they will, almost like with poetry. I don't want to like interpret things for people. Um, so I was really resistant. But then when I realized, oh, I could just give creative prompts, that felt more authentic to me. Um, because like I said in the book, I'm not offering guidelines. It's not a how-to book. In fact, they I think they put it in a self-help, spiritual self-help category, and that's fine. But its I don't feel like it's a how-to kind of book. Um, and that may frustrate some people, but I feel like it's a good practice for us. It's the kind of community I try to create in my church where we're all encouraged to do our own work, do our own, live our own faith. And we really are not going to give you answers. We're not going to give you prescriptions, um, but we're going to support and guide you as you figure out what's best for your life and your realities. So I first sort of became uh, aware of you and your ministry during the pandemic through your social media posts through your your prayers and the poetry that you were offering um, online and I do consider it a ministry I don't know if that's how you experience it but it feels like a ministry to me because I'm feeling nurtured when when I engage with it and so one of the things that, I think a lot of churches now, perhaps, I mean, certainly Resistance Church and Jubilee United Church and and others who might be listening is, you know, the pandemic happened and then all of a sudden, like everybody was online and engaging in social media and, and stuff like that. But we're also hearing more and more now about like the dangers of social media and the these companies that are sort of, uh, these monolithic sort of companies like Meta and TikTok and that are, you know, and algorithms and the, all it feels like all we're hearing about is like the real harms that social media is is creating. And I know this is one of the things that Resistance Church as an exclusively online community is having to sort of navigate the ethics of what it means um for a church to be engaged or for ministry to happen in in these spaces. And so I'm wondering if that's something that you have sort of had to sit with and and work through and you know, I I haven't like paid oh I probably haven't paid a, a good enough attention mostly because it kind of is scary to me and I'm uh, an Enneagram 6 <laughs> so I really move to fear <laughs> quickly so all of that is so creepy to me and it and especially as a parent I'm like what am I going to do how am I going to navigate this um for myself I I try to just create like an authentic space 
away from whether or not I will be rewarded from social media algorithm. Um, I call myself a space maker because I try to, I really believe in the sacred work of creating spaces. And so that for me is just, it's just another space where I um, try to make space for the people who might have need of it. But I try to stay, I would say my personal core value is consistency. I try to stay consistent with what I have energy uh, around. And um, I try to, um, there was another thought that I had there that just went out of my head. But like, I just try to be really authentic to what I'm going to post. And, um, oh, this is what it was. I, I really consider every post I make an offering. So I don't look at it as content. I look at it as this is an offering to this space. Is this an authentic offering? Is this a helpful offering? <laughs> and if it's not, I mean, then I'm probably not going to post it. So for example, I have all these amazing endorsements, um, 14 of them, and I need to share them because I'm so grateful for them, but it is a lot of content shooting out right now that looks just like almost like I'm spamming everyone. What I really try to do is create a caption that is really an authentic offering that shares my gratitude, that talks about that person, maybe share a story about how we met. Now, I don't know if anyone reads it, whatever. Like <laughs> for me, it's that I knew I was consistent and authentic to the way that I go about space making. Um, so anyway, that's just an example, I guess. And I'm not sure if I'm answering your question. I um, think so. I think so. I mean, I'm not even sure if there is an answer. I'm just yeah. aware that it's something that I'm yeah. trying to wrestle with and others are wrestling yeah. with it too. I think the place where I've landed for myself is that, you know, I think of where Jesus was in and with and among their people and it wasn't, wasn't, that he stayed away from the places that were complicated and complex and filled sometimes with things that he didn't agree with. And so if it's putting like an offering, if it's putting some beauty into a space that yeah. is otherwise devoid of it, um, I know I get really exhausted by the us versus them, the sort yes. of rage, the rage farming that happens on social media. Yeah. I'm, a, I'm, I'm really firmly committed to nuance and I believe that nuance is the road less traveled and I see it all the time more than anything on social media. Um, there are narratives that we're supposed to follow on both sides of these polarities and these binaries that we see. And I, while I may lean more often one way, um, I really try again to be consistent in lining up every encounter, every piece of information with my core values as a person of God, as a follower of Jesus, concerned with liberation. I try to truly be consistent with what's passing by me. And sometimes that means I don't follow the narrative or the script that I'm supposed to follow. Um, and sometimes I may, that may risk, you know, being mm -hmm. misunderstood or whatever, but I'm just, at the end of the day, I'm more concerned with, with keeping the nuance because I think it's really, really important in these times. 
It's time for Bible Bites. My name is Reverend Jason Myers, and I'm on the Bloor Viaduct in Toronto, Canada, and it's raining hard. Our reading today is from 1 John chapter 4, verses 11 and 12 from the inclusive translation. Beloved, if God has loved us so, we must have the same love for one another. No one has ever seen God, yet if we love one another, God dwells in us and God's love is brought to perfection in us. This is the witness of the good news of Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God. What speaks to you about this passage, Aurelia? Well, you probably noticed, but it has the mark of Imago Dei all over it. Um, I just... I love the idea of, um, like, Teresa of Avila's poem, Christ has no body now but ours. No hands, no feet, but ours. Ours are the hands. Ours are the feet that are doing justice in this world. And um, and so it's urgent business to me that we embody Imago Dei within us. We cannot do sustainable, lasting, heaven-on-earth work if we are not tending to the Imago Dei image within us. But on the other hand, if we are tending to it, if we are living from the place of that fullness, we are just, we are just being love everywhere we go. I just feel like that passage is so beautiful. <laughs> mm-hmm. I love it a lot. And you, cho- you specifically chose the inclusive Yes. How does that shift? Does it, or does it, I shouldn't assume, does it shift the meaning at all for you? From translation to translation? Yeah. Um, In that case, I don't know, probably a little bit. I mean, I I prefer the inclusive translation. I don't really um, resonate with with translations that focus on the male version of God, but sometimes I still use them and sometimes I still prefer certain ways that they, they word it. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I looked at them all. I looked at the NRSV and, and I just, I love the inclusive version for that one. Sometimes if I'm preaching on a text that is like triggering for people, like this week I'm preaching on the heart is deceitful above all things. Um, and so I purposely, <laughs> I purposely right. use the old version that we're used to. That's the version mm-hmm. that triggered us. And that's the version we're, um, we're approaching and, and trying to make sense of. So yeah, it just depends helping people lean into the triggering what is it about <laughs> let's talk about this we all Let's, pretty much hate yeah. that that passage <laughs> <laughs> but is there a a movement in your congregation towards like inclusive language and oh not, yeah yeah, yeah. We, so like i said or i said this before we maybe before we started recording but we kind of a rogue church we we actually are 
rooted in the Baptist tradition, but what people don't know about the Baptist tradition is that it was founded on the autonomy of the local church and um, and soul autonomy. So, in, so really it was founded on the conscious having choice and then local communities making their own decisions apart from anyone. So that was, those were kind of the tenets of, of you know, where we came from. And um, so we do have, we have a lot of liturgy in our um, services, but we've kind of rewritten everything. Like we've rewritten what we say, like after we do a reading, we say, we hear the voice of God in these words, thanks be to God. Um, We rewrote our communion liturgy this year. Uh, I love it. It's so beautiful for communion. I mean, for baptism, we've written our own, um, catechism for the kids. And then when, when people get baptized, we let them choose the language they want for each, you know, for each. And in fact, this year for our baptism, cause we do a cohort, um, and then they get baptized on the same day, but they go through like months of, of meetings and spiritual formation. So this year, each parent, we just let them decide, do you want us to do it? Or do you want to do it? And each parent like baptize their own kid. And, but then like, yeah, it's just like really beautiful to have that freedom of language because then what happens when you have the freedom of language is you you have freedom in all other areas and it's really beautiful. Um, I mean, do we have money? <laughs> no. <laughs> We're all multivocational. There's no way we could survive if we weren't. Um, but yeah, it's it's beautiful. So people are reading your book. You have just imagine somebody's just found your book on their local bookstore shelves and they've mm-hmm. pulled it off and they're reading it. They don't have necessarily an already established connection to church or perhaps this is their first encounter with the idea of Imago Day and stuff. What is your greatest longing for the readers of your book? Well, you actually named my greatest longing, which is for people to discover Imago Dei and then to see it within themselves and all around them and to bring that with them, you know, on their journey. Because I I really think we don't, I talk about it all the time. I'm so obsessed. Everyone in my church is always like, and Imago Dei, and they look at me. (laughs) It's like, I'm always talking about it. But I feel like, you know, people don't, know about this little nugget in that kind of way Mm -hmm. so yeah what I really hope is that people that leaves a mark I would love to write another book that's literally like about Imago Dei I feel like this is about it unspoken but more explicitly (laughs) what was the moment for you like what was the moment where you were like Imago Dei yeah I talk about it in my book it's chapter something Um, yeah, basically I'm having a faith crisis and I'm in the midst of deconstruction and I wake up one morning and as a Enneagram six, and I'm sorry for people who get annoyed with Enneagram talk, but Enneagram really helped me make sense of my anxiety and my propensity to always be like fearing things. (laughs) Um, so I woke up one morning and I just had this flood of bombarding thoughts like go through my head of like all these terrible things I was afraid could happen that day which is very normal I think possibly hopefully (laughs) it's not just me um one of the thoughts was 
how will you ever like feel grounded in your faith? If, if any of these things were to happen, would you have a faith left? Is your faith strong enough to sustain tragedy? Um, because it feels so fragile right now. And I had this mystical experience, which I don't have often, probably because I'm not open to it and I'm always scrolling on my phone. But like I had this mystical experience where I felt the voice of God speak to me, but it was within me. And the voice was like, you will never, you will never have confidence in your faith if you don't trust your own spirit. And I had the thought, Imago Day, like my work of my life is learning to listen to my spirit outside of comparing myself, outside of permission, outside of academic books, outside of faith leaders. I need to know what my spirit is saying because that spirit is the spirit of God living within me. And um, I just, it was like a revelation. And honestly, that's been my work, my personal spiritual work for several many years now maybe that happened like five years ago um and so I didn't necessarily know I was going to write a book on that that just happened later and I don't even think I knew when I was starting the book that that's what it would become but there you go (laughs) I know a lot of Enneagram sixes who are just like oh yes I so resonate with that it's so exciting (laughs) we have the greatest your greatest hope or longing for people reading your book you're a minister. Mm-hmm. I'm a minister. I'm always curious when I speak with ministers what your greatest hope is for the church. Mm. I've been in my context for 10 years. I I have so many hopes for it. I want it to I want it to live on. I want it to do well. I want it to exist, obviously. Um I think my hope the one that's coming to mind right now is that we can create a community of faith that gives our kids something beautiful and healthy to lean on in their own faith formation. And I think that is a big hope for me because we don't know what the hell we're doing. We don't have you know, a blueprint for how it's been done in a healthy way. We have examples of what we don't want, and we have a lot of triggers, and we have a lot of um, ways that we're acting from our trauma, from our spiritual trauma when it comes to our kids. But what I really would love is less reaction and more um, groundedness and beauty and, and richness for our kids to have what we didn't have. I hope that we can create the reality that they deserve Mm -hmm. in our faith community. That's so beautiful. Thank you so much for being with us. You can find A Brown Girl's Epiphany. It's out now, and the links to where you can purchase Aurelia's book uh, will be available on our show notes. So thank you so much for being here. I had such a great time chatting. Thank you. (laughs)
That was Redemption by Snowbones. You can find links to Snowbones and their music by going to our show notes. Wilderness Times and Resistance Church are part of the digital ministry of Jubilee United Church. We are committed to continuing offering opportunities for spiritual engagement in digital spaces in the long term, but we need your help. Please consider a donation as an investment in this ministry. You can find our donations page by going to wildernesstimes.ca donate. From there, you can choose Wilderness Times from the drop-down menu. Whether you donate once or sign up for a monthly contribution, we are very, very grateful for your support.
Thanks so much for being with us and just sharing in this episode. We'll be back next week with Damon Garcia talking about his new book, The God Who Riots. Until then, take care of yourselves and each other in these wilderness times. We'll see you soon. Wilderness Times and Resistance Church are ministries of Jubilee United Church, which is an affirming ministry of the United Church of Canada. You can find links to Jubilee, Resistance Church, as well as a full transcript of this episode by going to our show notes at wilderness-times.ca.